0: Welcome back to the Capital Creeps podcast. As usual, it's your host, Danielle, and I'm really excited about today's topic because it was, for me, I think it was the first story that I heard where it was pretty much all based on fact and very little had been known to be exaggerated or very little of it could be said, oh, you know, this is just like a tall tale or these are just urban legends, especially because these events are fairly recent and the people who are affected by them are still, you know, alive today, but not only that, they're, you know, young and this was in their recent memory. So today I wanted to talk about the Sally House. I know it's a bit of a pivot from what I've normally done, but like I said, I don't really want to just focus on cryptids or monsters because there's plenty of weird stuff out there to talk about and the sally house is definitely one of them the sally house is a famous haunted house and it's actually my favorite when it comes to haunted houses i'm kind of on the fence i think it's fun to talk about and i think that it can be a cool seasonal thing to talk about during halloween and all that Um, But a lot of the times I just sort of end up saying, okay, this is the same story over and over and over again. You know, a lot of the haunted houses are just okay. Like they heard bumps, they heard thuds, they heard whispers the nights, you know, but the Sally house is different than that. The Sally house is one of the more famous haunted houses in America and it was, it's been featured in a lot of different stuff. There's been a lot of TV shows about it. Um, and there was even an episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved about it. But my interest in the Sally House was sparked when I first listened to a podcast about it a few years ago. And then from there, um, I just got really interested in seeing other stuff about it. Like I said, there was a BuzzFeed Unsolved episode that I really liked about the Sally House. Um, a lot of the times, BuzzFeed Unsolved episodes are... A lot of fluff, but this one wasn't that much fluff. (laughs) So let's just get into it. Like I said, this is about the Sally House and yeah, let's begin. So the Sally House is located in Atchison, Kansas. And before the Sally House came to be what it is, Atchison was formerly known just as the birthplace of Amelia Earhart. A lot of people say that the Sally House is indubitably the most haunted house in Kansas, but a lot of people even argue that it's probably the most haunted house in America. Just like a lot of the other haunted houses, this one is old. It was built in the mid-1800s, but most of what we're going to hear about and most of what is of note happened in the 90s. So, it was originally made for the Finney family. That was their last name. They owned the house for a really long time. It was passed down for a while. Like I said, it was built in the mid to late 1800s, but the Finneys owned the home until I think it was the 1930s. So, it stayed in the family for a long time. So, something interesting about this is that there was a lot of misfortune that happened in the Sally house. And there are uh, four family members who actually died in the Sally house while living there. Actually died in the house. And something to note about those deaths is that two of them were of children under the age of two years old. Of that time, that's not that weird or that spooky or whatever you know infant mortality was way higher back then than it is now. So that in itself is not that crazy, but it is a little bit weird that four family members died in that house and although like I said they did own the home for a long time, it stayed in the family for a long time. Four members dying in the house, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot going on. There's a lot of weirdness that surrounds the Finney family and That is something that I definitely could get into, but to me, I think it's a little bit more of people trying to find an explanation for the hauntings, and although it's a little bit interesting, I think what actually happened in the home is way more interesting than the family itself. The only thing that you need to note is that the matriarch of the household, Charles Finney, was there for a long period of time, he lived up until his 80s, despite so much tragedy striking his family, and that he was a doctor. And all of this is indisputable, 100% fact. Now, I know when it comes to haunted houses, there's a lot that is he said, she said, (laughs) there's a lot that is just focusing on sensationalizing it. But when it comes to the Fitties. It is all fact. At this point, nobody was trying to make anything out of nothing. So the Finneys did exist there. And Charles Finney was a doctor who actually, for a period of time, took inpatients in his own home. Which, again, wasn't that weird at the time. It definitely happened. But that's just something to note. So when it comes to the weirdness, it actually kind of starts around that basically what people think is that the original inception of these hauntings started because of the medicine that was practiced in the house. There's stories that are, they're always different when it comes to this kind of stuff. This is where you do get into the a little bit of the, like I said, the he said, she said, but basically the story goes that one day a little girl named Sally showed up to the Finney household and she was really sick and she needed surgery right away. And Charles Finney believed that she needed uh, an appendectomy. So he was going to perform the surgery. And like I said, she was very sick. Um, ap- you know, appendicitis is very painful and so a lot of the times you know people are reacting kind of dramatically not over dramatic but just dramatic and so she comes to his his door is very sick is very ill is in a ton of pain so she's being really dramatic and he decides okay we need to take this appendix out right now because it could burst at any second so he decides to do surgery on her in the home. So it's a very quick process. He wants to get it done as quickly as possible. So he's trying to sedate her while also trying to set up for the surgery. In the process of all of this, all the madness that was happening at once, people say that she was not properly sedated. And once he started the surgery, she died of shock and blood loss because the surgery was completely botched, The sedatives were not administered correctly. And so she went into the surgery with consciousness and was aware of what was happening to her as well as aware of the pain of what was happening to her. Now, like I said, most of what happens in this house is documented. Most of what happens in this house is not disputed. But this is something that is. What I mean by that is, there's no legal documentation of a girl named Sally dying in the home. There is documentation. It is fact that four people died in the home, but it is disputed that anybody named Sally ever stepped foot in the home, let alone dying in the home. So what that means is this part of the story may or may not have any sort of truth to it. There hasn't really been any documentation, like I said, of anybody dying in the home named Sally, but there also hasn't been any documentation of anybody dying named Sally in that town. So what it's looking like is this part of the story might just be sensationalism. And that's fine. That's totally good with me. I don't really care that much. I don't think it takes away from anything else in the story, but a lot of people like the story of the girl named Sally to be the sounding board from which everything else happened. And who knows? This was a long, long, long time ago. Things were not like what they are now. So it very well could be the case that this did happen and maybe it was swept under the rug. Maybe it just wasn't properly documented for whatever reason and it really did happen. Like I said, I don't think it takes away from anything else, but it is the inception of the hauntings to a lot of people. What interests me a lot more about the Sally House is what happened in the 90s. So up until the 90s, there was nothing interesting about this home. It was old, but the town was an old town, so nothing too special. But then Deborah and Tony Pickman moved in, in 1993. I actually sat down and listened to a really long interview with the two of them and they're pretty open about what happened to them now and I think it's important to, before we get into what happened to them, talk about them a little bit and the circumstances in which they ended up in this home. So, like I said, I did actually listen to an interview with them and it's, I know you can't judge. (laughs) I know you can't judge based on a tiny tiny moment in these people's lives in which they're just recounting something that happened to them, but they seemed so normal. They're a married couple who's been together for a really long time. There's nothing weird about them. If anything, they seem very, very sweet, very down to earth, just kind of salt of the earth people. That was the vibe that I got from them where It comes across like they don't want to, they almost don't want to bother anybody who has any sort of false narrative about the house. In the interview, they were asked some questions about okay, people say this happened, did it happen? And whenever the stuff sounded too sensational or just straight up didn't happen, they would laugh it off and say, oh, no, I've never heard that one before. Or, oh, yeah, we've heard that and whatever. And they also seem to be very forgiving of people who may not believe them or people who may think that, okay, you guys only saw this because this, is and this. Or you guys only felt this because this, is and that. So it seems like they very much didn't sign up for this. They're not trying to gain anything from it. If anything, it seems like two people who couldn't believe that something like this happened to them. So, like I said, let's get into them a little bit more. So, Tony Pickman grew up as a devout Catholic. He said that he had no interest in anything like ghosts or spirits or demons or whatever because of his Catholic heritage. Deborah, however, it should be important to note, was always really into this stuff. As a matter of fact, she said that when she was younger, she wished that she would have a ghost encounter because she thought it would be interesting. She thought it would be cool. She wanted to have her own little ghost friend. So that is important to note because when we're looking at stuff like this, we want to come at it at the angles of, okay, are there any external factors that could have caused this? And Deborah's situation is definitely something that could be, hmm, odd. They moved into this house because they were kind of on a time crunch. Deborah was pregnant and they desperately needed a bigger space to have their first child. On top of that, their landlord said, Hey, I'm selling the house that you guys live in, so you guys gotta get out while she was pregnant. I thought that was kind of kind of not that nice on the landlord's part (laughs) so they they moved out into this home that they found um tony's brother actually found the home for them they thought it was a really cool place it's kind of in a in a good area and it's an older home but you know that just meant that it had good bones and so they were excited to move there the house was small but it would just be them and their baby so it wasn't that big of a deal When they moved in, they said that they started to notice things within a month of being there. At this point, the baby wasn't even born yet. The baby wasn't born until about six months into them living there. But up until that point, they kind of just noticed small annoyances to the point to where Tony said that he went to the original owner and said, you know, hey, I think there are some issues with this. What's going on? The original owner of the Sally house actually owns it still now. Um, I think he kind of repurchased it from them. The way that they talked about it, I got a little bit confused. I wasn't 100% sure if they were renting the home or if they bought the home, but regardless, there was an owner. I think his name was Les and then they moved in and he still owns it to this day. So maybe he bought it back from them. Maybe he was just their landlord. These details are not that important. But basically, Tony went to him and, and said, hey, you know, there's these, there are issues with this house. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this happen? And the issues in which he was talking about were he noticed a lot of electrical issues where lights would go on or lights would flicker. He noticed that the chain of the fan, you know, the chain that you pull, would be moving on its own. And something that made him a little bit curious about it was because it was moving as if the fan was on, even when the fan was off. But at this point, all these things that are happening, they were just sort of thinking of them as weird inconveniences. Because, I mean, they kind of were just weird inconveniences. They noticed that their dog would start growling at nothing, especially in the room that became the nursery. They also noticed just the normal stuff like thuds or knocking. And again, they thought, okay, this is an old house. They also did own cats. So they thought maybe it's the cats running up and down the stairs. If you've ever owned cats, (laughs) you know. If you hear anything in the night, the first thought is not it's an intruder or it's a ghost. It's more of, oh no, what's he got into this time? So they didn't really think anything was weird, even with the dog acting strangely, until their son, whose name was Taylor, was born. That's when stuff seemed to really, really ramp up. So at this point, the lights were... Um, going on and off were getting worse this was happening especially in the nursery they would turn off the lights obviously to get help the baby get a good night's sleep and they noticed that the lights would be on again it was to the point to where the neighbor even came to them and said hey why do you always leave the light on in the nursery at night it's on all night almost every night but they knew that they were turning it off The story really picks up, though, one night when this did happen. Tony and Deborah had Deborah's sister over, and they were just hanging out watching movies when Tony noticed the light is on in the nursery, even though they knew they had already turned it off. At this point, Taylor had already been put to bed, so the light had already been turned off. So he goes in the room and notices that Taylor's stuffed animals were arranged in a little circle, almost as if they were having a meeting. He was confused because he says it himself. Deborah is a neat freak. So why would she leave his toys out? And why would she be playing with them in a way like that? He thought it was kind of weird. At this point, Taylor was too young to have the the toys on his own. So he thought Deborah put it that way. So he turned off the light, walks downstairs, and is like, yay, you left the toys out. And they were kind of confused about that. However, at one point they noticed that the lights were back on. They had been together the whole night, just the three of them, and they went upstairs to check it out. Now the funny thing about this is that Tony describes the story of them walking slowly up the stairs as if they were like members of the Scooby-Doo gang, just terrified of what they would find up there. When they went back up there, though, the toys were back in the same circle that they had been in before. And at this point, they knew they couldn't deny that something was happening. Tony and Deborah both say that this was a point in which they figured, there's something going on here. Because they had been all three together the whole night. So unless a fourth person was in their house. Somebody had to have moved the stuffed animals. The weird thing about this is that. There were also other interactions with these stuffed animals. Tony says that one day he brought his, he brought one of the stuffed animals downstairs. And put it on the coffee table. And that. Tony's brother was over at the time and he had been told about the weird occurrences that were happening. So Tony's brother says to the toy, You know, hey, if something's going on, I want to see you move. I want you to do something with this toy. And it did. They saw it with their own eyes move on its own. He said it turned kind of in a circle. And although I haven't seen these pictures and although I don't think that these pictures have been published publicly I could be wrong though Tony says that his brother actually took a picture while the toy was mid-movement and you can see you know like you would in a picture the lines of movement but there's no visible thing that's moving it so like I said at this point the Pickman family couldn't deny that there was a haunting happening in their house While this was sort of the inception of all the weird things that started here, it definitely wasn't the weirdest. Now, let me say this. They did not like this kind of stuff. As it was happening, they weren't happy with it. Like I said, Tony was a skeptic. He didn't believe in this at all. And although Deborah claims that there was a point in which she did want to be haunted, She said later on that this was not at all what she wanted and kind of gave the warning of, you know, this is why they say be careful what you wish for. So this was the inception of the haunting. I keep saying that word inception. I'm so sorry. It's just, it just fits, okay? It just fits. (laughs) And this is when they started sort of telling people about it. Like I said, Deborah's sister was there and Tony's brother eventually witnessed the hauntings as well. But they eventually started telling more and more people about it. Um, their neighbors became aware of it. Like I said, the neighbors were actually uh, witness to it. At least the lights going on and off. But they eventually ended up telling people enough to the point to where they were on an episode of Sightings in 94. Which is kind of like an old uh, ghost hunting type of thing. Like Ghost Adventures is one of them. I think that's what that show's called. And they did an episode on uh, on the Sally House, but it got to the point to where they kept coming back to do multiple episodes because they were getting such good stuff on film that they said, well, okay, we've got a gold mine here. We need to keep coming back. They do say that after every time the sightings crew would come, the hauntings and stuff would get worse. So it was almost like either... Whatever was in the house was unhappy that they were bringing the people or maybe they liked the attention. Who knows? (laughs) But this is when they couldn't deny the weirdness. So Tony actually pretty much was the main target of this. Although Deborah saw the stuff, like I said before, it wasn't like she was ever a victim, more of a witness. Tony, however, was a victim. So there was one day where uh, Tony went to the kitchen. He was alone and he was pouring himself a glass of juice. He turns around and looks and like many homes up north or norther than Texas, that is, they had a basement. The basement door was in their kitchen. He looks and he sees a girl standing in front of the basement door in the kitchen. He's super surprised to the point to where he kind of just phrases. And the girl is looking at him, and she looks just as surprised to see him. If anything, she kind of looks like, Oh no, I didn't know you would be here. Kind of like walking in, sneaking in the window at 3 a.m. only to find that your parents are waiting for you in your room. Tony says that not only was this little girl in a weird old clothing, all in white, but she was almost transparent. He could see the door through her, although he could make out her features all completely. At that point, he dropped the juice. He was so scared and she disappeared into thin air. Very stereotypical ghost type activities. At this point, Tony runs upstairs and he tells Deborah, I saw a little girl down there. Luckily, in this situation, Tony is actually really into sketching and drawing, so he was able to draw a pretty detailed picture of what Sally looked like. This little girl that he saw, turns out she's Sally, according to him. Now, like I said, he was actually pretty good at drawing, and I've seen the picture, and it's not half bad. What's interesting about this picture is that later on, it was shown to a family that lived in the house previous to them and there was a young girl that lived in the house with them and she got super creeped out by this picture because she said i had an imaginary friend growing up named sally and that's exactly what she looks like these are the types of things that make the sally house so unique because that is completely unexplainable and it's not like a he said she said situation All of these people involved are very open about this experience. And if you were to ask them about it today, they would say, yeah, you know, that was my imaginary friend. So moving on to things that got even weirder. At this point, objects in the house started to move on their own. Like I said, Tony and his brother actually caught in action one of the stuffed animals moving. They said that this wasn't an isolated incident either. The thing is, is that this wasn't just weird or even interesting. To Tony, it was scary and dangerous. Something that they began to notice was they would wake up in the morning and find that the pictures that they had of themselves and their family that were hanging up on the wall would still be there, but they would be upside down there was one morning where it was actually their wedding photo and they came, they came outside of their bedroom and not only was the picture upside down, but the glass on the picture was broken and it was still hung up on the wall. Something else was they started hearing voices, specifically Tony was hearing voices and when he would lay down, he would hear scratching. And it confused him at first. He thought that maybe there was something in the walls, like maybe an animal. But he noticed that it wasn't really coming from one particular source. He would hear it in different rooms, and it wouldn't be coming from the walls. If you've ever had anything in your walls before, you know what I'm talking about. It is a very distinct sound, and you can clearly tell that it's coming from the wall. When it starts getting really crazy is when fires started popping up in the house. Tony says that they weren't just normal fires like they would walk in somewhere and see something on fire but instead a flame would erupt out of thin air as if it was being blown out by a blowtorch. This is something that's really interesting because I haven't heard of any sort of haunting having fires like this before. And like I said, it really changes the changes the story a little bit. And it kind of makes you wonder, how were these people living here this long? They were there for about two years. And this stuff started happening and they stayed for a while. But once you hear more and more about Tony's experiences versus Deborah's, it begins to make a little bit more sense. These fires are also really interesting as well, because like I said, they had a cast and crew from a TV show called Sightings in their home for extended periods of time. And these were caught by everyone in this show. One was even almost captured on film. Basically, what happened was they were filming. They were filming a segment for the show, and there was a rose in the background. And they filmed one shot, and then they came back a little bit later and were looking at the footage. And they saw that there was one cut. You know, they were doing several cuts of interviews with people, and I think it was Deborah specifically that they were talking to in this scenario. But there was a rose in the background. There were flowers, and all of a sudden, you look at the next. next take from this interview and that same rose has been burnt as if somebody set it on fire. They also wanted to specify that they did have some candles around the household but they kept them wrapped because they didn't want to light them because of the danger that it imposed because they had a newborn baby and they had dogs and they didn't trust the dogs not to knock it over. So it was a fire hazard, but they wanted the candles there for decoration. They thought they looked nice. So they would wake up or they would walk into a room and find that the candle had been burned. They never actually saw the candles burning, but like I said, they were still wrapped in the plastic that they came from and they would find like holes, like burn marks in the plastic. As if it had been lit from within the candle, like underneath the plastic. So, obviously, there's not an explanation for that. And again, this was being seen by dozens of other people, cast, crew, and family. They were all seeing this. So, it really is not like we're just having to rely on two people who, you know, were probably sleep deprived a lot from a newborn. Speaking of sleep, Tony also says that there was one incident in which he had fallen asleep on the couch watching tv and he heard a voice tell him hey tony here's the remote and he said it was deborah's voice and that when he woke up the remote was on his chest and he said to her hey where did you find the remote apparently the remote was missing this day and deborah was like what are you talking about and <laughs> tony said well you know like you gave me the remote and you told me here's the remote and she said yeah no that's didn't happen. I do want to specify that with this situation in particular, Tony was half asleep. He very well might have picked it up in the middle of the night himself and put it on his chest. Maybe he saw it buried in the cushions or something and then just pieced the story together in his half-asleepedness. But it still is an interesting story nonetheless. When we talk about the danger having to do with the Sally house, I think we should talk about the fact that people were actually physically harmed in the Sally house. And this happened on film. This is not something where people were saying stuff was happening to them. This was happening on camera, live. Tony was the biggest target of this, but pretty much what was going on was he would just be sitting there and all of a sudden he would feel pains or sometimes he wouldn't feel pain at all. The pain level would vary drastically, but... Sometimes he would have to kind of even just have to walk it off. When they would go and look at where he had felt the pain, he would have scratches on himself and once even had a bite mark. So he had physical marks. Most of the time it was scratches once it was a bite mark and sometimes it was also bruising. Now, like I said, this was happening on film. And so what I mean by that is the cast of the sighting show would be sitting there talking to him And all the sudden marks would just be appearing on him. It was to the point to where people on the show were getting frustrated because they were so confused as to how it could happen. They were having people check him before and after he went to the bathroom just to make sure that he wasn't doing this while he was in the bathroom and then saying, hey, look, haha, it scratched me again. But they couldn't find any evidence that he was doing it to himself. They couldn't find any evidence that anybody was doing it to him. It also ended up happening to other people on the cast to the point to where some people wanted to leave. They didn't want to sit there and get hurt all the time and get scratches all over them. But like I said, Tony was the biggest victim. He would be sitting there sometimes and they would just be showing up all over him. I just can't wrap my mind around this thing though, the scratches in particular. I cannot wrap my mind around it. The fact that he's sitting there talking to somebody while he's being filmed in front of a camera crew, sound guys, interviewers, cameramen, lighting guys, and they're just showing up on him. Sometimes even on his face. He's just sitting there completely immobile. I just can't, I just can't get over that. I cannot get over that. So he was getting pretty fed up. There was one day in particular where he said he was sitting in his room and the voices and the scratching were getting louder and louder and louder. And he just wanted some peace. So he's sitting there going about his day, doing his thing when he's sitting in bed and he looks over, you know, towards the foot of his bed. He tries to describe it as, you know, the feeling when there's light shining through your window and you can kind of see the dust particles in the air. So he's just kind of zoned out, just trying to get some peace and quiet when this happens. At first, he didn't really think anything of it. It's just sort of dust in the air. But as he's looking at it, he says slowly the dust starts building and getting darker and forming into the solid shape of a woman. Now, this woman, he said that he had actually been familiar with. She was wearing old clothing, like maybe from the late 1800s, early 1900s. He doesn't know for sure because, of course, (laughs) we weren't around anywhere near that time. So it's kind of hard to place the clothing. Sometimes it's even hard to tell the difference between 80s and 90s clothes. So I'll cut him a break with that one. He says that the woman looks up at him and the room starts becoming unsettled. Like the stuff around him is sort of beginning to shake. He's on the bed and he said the bed started moving as if it was a water bed, as if he was on the water shaking around like he was on a little boat in the unsettled seas. So she's just sort of has this air about her of badness, badness. <laughs> badness that's the best word to describe it and the stuff in his room starts to shake harder and more violently until his dresser actually lifts from the air does a full spin and slams down on the ground he said loud he said he could he couldn't hear anything it was just deafening the noises from the stuff shaking and booming And that the woman starts getting closer and closer to him. And she reached out for his neck and she was yelling at him saying like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And then a black bird came out from her hand, like coming from her sleeve. And he's trying to scream for help for Deborah because Deborah was just across the hall in the baby's room, putting him to bed, but nothing could come out. He was too scared. All of a sudden, everything just goes quiet and she's gone. Tony is frozen, paralyzed in fear. And so he does the only thing that he can do. He tries to get out of bed and crawl his way towards Deborah. When all of a sudden, Deborah just opens the door and is like, what's wrong with you? She said she heard nothing except for him kind of calling out to him, Deborah, weakly, you know. And she kept saying, what, what, what? And he wouldn't answer. And so that's why she eventually went back to check up on him. Again, This story is a little bit different than the others because it is just a first-person account um, and nothing could be proven except Deborah also corroborating that she could hear him, but there's nothing to verify it. Regardless, it goes to show you how affected he was becoming to be by the house. It was as if the house was getting to know him on a personal level and wanted him to suffer personally. He began seeing a woman, but the weird thing is, is this woman was Debra she would be wearing old timey clothing just like the woman um, who he saw before and she would just sort of walk right by him and he'd be super confused like Debra what are you doing there was one time where he followed her and saw her go into a room and when he went into the room there was nobody there also anytime he would see her she'd be in these big fancy clothes that she didn't own otherwise and then he might find her, thirty seconds later, sitting in the room, having just taken a shower, still wrapped in a towel. So again, it was like it was targeting his own his own mind, almost like turning him against Deborah and freaking him out, because, like I said, with the remote story, he heard Deborah's voice saying, "Hey, I got the remote for you." Where this begins to really take a turn for the worst. Is when we get into just how deeply Tony was affected. So Tony said that he started thinking. Violent kind of paranoid thoughts. And that they pretty much centered around Deborah. Like just agitation towards her constantly. Just rage towards her. And he would even. He even found himself thinking that he wanted to kill her. But whenever he would leave the house. He never felt this way. It was just in the house. He felt like. This was sort of driving a wedge between him and Deborah, But other than this, this was the only thing that Deborah felt. She felt like there was some distance and that Tony was being weird, but she didn't know why. She wasn't being affected at all in this way. Nothing was personal to her. The stuff that she saw was weird, but kind of interesting. But other than that, I mean, she wasn't getting hurt. Nothing. There was one day where... Tony truly lost it he said he was sitting there in the kitchen getting ready making himself a bowl of cereal and then he just blacked out and whenever he came to he found their cat on the table completely stabbed a knife gluing its body to the table that was when Tony realized that he was being possessed by whatever this was It was one day when it finally got to be too much. Tony came to Deborah because he said that he had been shoved hard towards the stair rails. He had actually broken some of the railings on the stairs and he was fully convinced that something was trying to push him over onto the first floor from the second. And that's when Deborah really came to of, hey, like whatever this is, We need to get out of here. This is not an okay place for Tony to be. And that was it when they decided to move out and they ended up moving out. Now, like I said, they had this TV show recording multiple episodes of them at the time. So it wasn't like it was a secret as to what was going on in the house or what was going on with them. So everybody, of course, had all their opinions as to, you know, what's going on in the Sally House and what caused it to be so weird. So a really common theory as to what's haunting the Sally House is, is that Tony is just schizophrenic. Now, of course, some of these symptoms do line up with symptoms of schizophrenia. Like I said, he was feeling very par- Paranoid. He was also feeling like he wanted to harm somebody and like he was having voices in his head possessing him that he had no control over. When it comes to this theory, I really hate to break all the skeptics little hearts, but Tony actually thought the same thing. In fact, he actually got checked out to see if he was schizophrenic and it turns out that no he wasn't. Instead, what he got diagnosed with was PTSD from the experiences that he had in the house. To me, that adds so much more credibility to the story. Like, sure, maybe they were making it up and this is all an elaborate prank. But you can't make up PTSD, okay? You just can't. Other people think that maybe this was caused because of one of the previous owners. There's all kinds of rumors about whoever was the previous owner before, but not much is actually known about her. What people say is that she ran a cult out of that house and that she would have weird little satanic rituals in the basement and supposedly the basement is a hotbed of activity but Tony and Deborah can't really attest to it because they didn't go to the basement very often. They say that there's supposedly a pentagram drawn into the floor of the Sally house, but I will be honest with you, that is another one of those things where it's kind of like he said, she said, maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But what I can tell you is that other people also think that, like I said, this all started with Sally um, dying in the house. Again, this is kind of easily, easy to dispute because we have no records of Sally Ever actually existing. What some people think is that Sally was never there. Sally never existed. Instead, that Sally, I'm using, I'm doing little quotation marks with my hands right now. I know you can't see me, but just imagine it. (laughs) Sally is not a girl and is not the ghost of a girl. Sally is a demon who takes the form of a young girl because young girls are thought to be trustworthy. So, There are some people that say, maybe there are two forces in this house. Some of them are good, like the experiences that Deborah had, and that some of them are bad. I personally don't see much good happening here. And as far as spirits go, I would lean more on the side of this being some sort of demon or something, because I don't think that Sally ever existed. And I don't think that ghosts can just pretend to be somebody else. I'm not a ghost expert. But the demon thing makes more sense because that's kind of what they're known for is deceit. And taking on the form of a young girl to get to gain trust and maybe gain a way into, getting po- into being able to possess you, that makes sense. Tony seems to kind of agree with this theory. He doesn't really like Sally all too much. Nowadays, they have tours at the Sally house. You can actually pay to stay overnight. And there was one point where the house was actually listed for over a million dollars. You guys, this house is not that nice and it is tiny. So there's truly some value in the tourism here. Personally, I 100% believe in this. Not just because I want to and because it's interesting and it's cool. Because it is. But because of the fact that this has so much evidence Like I said, haunted house stories usually kind of bore me because they're all about, I saw this and I saw that. But when it comes to the Sally house, a lot of this is recorded on video and with audio. This is actually the experience with Deborah and Tony. It's not the only thing that's been found in the Sally house. People, like I said, have tours there all the time and people see stuff all the time regularly. There's not that much credit to be given to these people who are going there looking for something specific as confirmation bias does truly exist. But I really want to go to Sally House and hopefully that's something that I can do on my bucket list one day and cross off and say, yes, I spent money on a vacation to Kansas and I would feel good about it too. So that's all that I have for today. I know this episode might have been a little bit of a longer one. It's just so interesting. The story is so interesting. I truly do think that there's something going on in the Sally house. So until next week, you guys stay safe and stay spooky.